come on now, what's all these words I have to learn when I'm a teacher? Well, you know what you can do with your rubric. All right, guys, maybe the way I started out, you think I'm going to make fun of teachers' words today. That is not the case at all. I might have tried to lead you to the episode that way, but I am actually going to talk about my ignorance in the words that I've had to learn for teachers and words that I would recommend substitute teachers get comfortable with because you're probably going to be put in a long-term substitute teacher role eventually. It's nice to use these words. I really make fun of myself. I'll go ahead and tell you that word at the beginning I heard again this week. I might buy a shirt with a big R on the chest for rubric. And I will tell you, I think it's funny every time I hear that word. I went to school And let's see, 1958, so I was born in 1958. I started first grade, I guess, then in 1964, went through high school in my 70s. They didn't have any of these words back then. They're good words. They're good educational words. I kind of believe in the system of KISS, keep it simple, stupid, That's what my philosophy's always been. I grew up in a small town. I'm one of those that I think that if you've got a simple word to use, don't use a complicated word, but yet it's part of our English language, so we might as well learn it. But I am going to make fun of myself. I am going to bring out the countryside of me, I guess, and make fun of some of the words that are used, but... Even though I like to keep it simple, it's probably good words to use in the vernacular of a teacher. Now, you know I came from a corporate environment. There are all kinds of words and acronyms there, too. I remember when I started with a hospital, it's now been 28 years ago, and I heard the word for the first time, full-time equivalent, FTE, and I'm thinking, what in the world is that? I came from a manufacturing environment where an employee was an employee and it counted as one. When you were budgeting, you budgeted one employee. But then, you know, hospitals had the fancy acronym FTE, full-time equivalent. And basically that meant this, a normal job, eight hours a day, five days a week is 40 hours. That would equal a full-time equivalent of one. But most nurses, believe it or not, work three 12-hour days and have four days off unless they work overtime. Three 12s is 36 hours. Since 36 is 90% of 40, then we would calculate that as 0.9 FTE. But that just seems so strange to me to hear words like that. I don't like using big words in the corporate environment. Maybe if I was a full-time teacher, well, there's no doubt, if I was a full-time teacher, I would learn to use these words intelligently. Now, I do have an opinion. We did not have these words back when I was in school. I know we didn't. There's no way. I would have heard teachers use these words if they were there. 
I think part of it's a little political. As the education process got more sophisticated, you know, way back then, we did have achievement tests at the end of school, but nothing like what there is now. And I think as the education system has become a little more political, possibly for a good reason, you know, trying to keep all students, give them all an equal chance of learning, an equal chance of testing, maybe smooth over some of the cultural differences that exist when we're in schools, try to smooth that over a little bit and make it fair to everyone. I'm all for that. But all these words that have come along as the system has gotten more sophisticated, I, believe it or not, think it's a little bit humorous. Let's start with that word rubric, man. I heard it again this week, and even though I vaguely knew what the teacher was talking about, I poked fun at myself, and I said, all right, I'll take a look at the rubric you're using, but first I have to look up what rubric means. And I did. And it's interesting. It's easy for a teacher to define rubric is just basically your grading system. You hand out a project for a student to do. Maybe you're, you know, think about MasterChef. When they have a competition, they're usually graded on presentation, taste, all those different things. When you're handing out a test, we're working on a project right now where the kids are creating restaurants and pricing schemes and probabilities of certain things being ordered. And they get so much percentage of their grade based on each of those components. That's called a rubric. The teachers know that. Interestingly enough, if you just look that word up in the English I'm looking at Oxford Dictionary right now. It is spelled R-U-B-R-I-C. And believe it or not, the definition that shows up first is a direction in a liturgical book as to how a church service should be conducted or a statement of purpose or function or a category. So that was the origin of the word rubric. And it has progressed throughout the education system now just to be our grading system. What did we call it back when I was in the, when I was in the school? We called it our grading system. Now we call it a rubric. I'm okay with that. Big word to describe something fairly simple. Or I guess actually it's not a big word. It's just a sophisticated word, a rubric. That's your grading system. That's one of the first words I had to learn when I was a, became a full-time substitute teacher this year. Speaking of which, we are into the month of May 2021. In my area, we only have three more weeks of school, and it is dominated by testing of various different varieties. Bless their hearts, what we're putting those kids through in the next two weeks as far as testing and reviews and all that kind of stuff. I hope we don't burn them out too much. They're good kids, and they're going to understand how important it is to the school and all that kind of stuff for them to do well on these tests. But that's coming up in the next three weeks. I cannot believe it is almost over. I know just yesterday, had to have been yesterday, when we were talking about eight weeks of school left and how that's not much time. Now it's down to three. So crazy status now. 
the kids can feel it. The teachers can feel it. I never go through my day now where a teacher doesn't remind me how little time we have left and how they're ready for a break. Students seem to say the same thing. Students are a little bit more keyed up as you would expect because they know it's almost over. I told my kids, you might as well face it, guys. You might as well expect me to cry when we get to the last day because I'm going to miss you guys. I know they're not going to miss me as much as I miss them, but that's okay. But let's cover some more of these words we've been talking about. I've actually hit on this one as recent as a couple of episodes ago. I kind of like to make fun of myself and say a few months back, one of the teachers that uh, that comes into my room every other day and helps me work with some students, kind of nice to have some help in there. She asked me, she said, Mr. Collins, this is actually on a text, so I had a chance to think about it. She said, when's your next assessment? And I'm thinking, man, is there something formal I need to be doing to assess these students when really all she was asking, when are you giving a test next? Well, I I thought that was kind of funny because I would have just called it a test. I knew exactly when our next test was. I did not know when the next assessment was because I did not know that that word meant the same thing these days. I knew what it meant to assess something, but that term is used all the time now just to describe a test. We're assessing the students. An assessment is the same as a test, so good for substitute teachers to know that word. Another big word that's used a lot a lot, a lot, is diagnostic. It's just like it sounds. We diagnose where the kids are. I think I remember something back in my day called a progress report. I think that might have been what we called them back then. Now we call them a diagnostic. And we're giving several different flavors in the next two weeks of this. We've got one that is from the state. I live in Kentucky. We got one that's based on that very secure. It's actually a pretty good system, I feel like. And this is the third one. Even even though I've only been substitute teaching three years, this is the third one I've been involved with at three different schools. So I'm familiar with the process. There are things related to it that helps the school know where their students are, but also helps them being assessed by the state so we know where the the whole school is, not just individual students. That's a form of diagnostic or assessment, if you will. There are also a form that we're giving through the iReady system. That is a fairly popular, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of that, iReady. We're also doing that. We use that a lot to place students in classes. The ones, for instance, that might be going to their last year of middle school, perhaps they want to go ahead and be thinking about some high school classes that they can take while they're in middle school and, for lack of a better phrase, get them out of the way. Go ahead and get credit for those. And when we give them diagnostic tests, it helps us know whether or not they're ready, whether or not they're prepared, that kind of thing. And then we usually give them a test on another format just to make sure we have taught them properly to see if all the stuff that we 
taught them back in August and September all the way through these last few weeks, they at least got an inkling of memory and can look back at their notes and remember how they're supposed to do things. One of the first things I did in my sixth grade class this school year was geometry. So we were talking about how to calculate area, and I tried to relate it to people that carpet different areas or paint different areas. They have to calculate what they're going to need using geometry, measuring the edges and if you got a triangular form, how to, how to do the area of that. So that was very useful, and that is another thing that we use diagnostic tests for to see how their recall is on things like that. So we've done rubric, we've done assessment, and we've done diagnostic. All right, let's play a game now. I'm getting ready to bring up two more words. I'm going to give you the words that we used in the 70s to mean the same thing and see if you can guess where I'm going with this one. Okay. Homework versus test and quizzes. Homework versus test and quizzes. Back in the day, we called it homework or maybe even classwork, and we called it test. Now... It's usually referred to as formative and summative. That's two important words. I think summative's easiest to remember just because it sounds like summary. So you probably can put two and two together, uh, pun intended, as for a math teacher, and know that that is testing. When we do testing, that is referred to as summative. When we do in-class work, when we do homework that isn't, it, it's the learning process and not reviewing what we've just learned, that's more formative. And normally the summative gives a higher weight. Now that hasn't changed since I was younger. Test properly so, we're given a higher weight than simply the homework was because the test is really the way that we found out that you knew what you were doing. So those words are now formative for homework and summative for testing, and those are also two words in the school system that the first time I heard them, I'm thinking, what in the world are we talking about? And, you know, good old Google now, at least I have the internet, I can try to cheat, but maybe in past life in the corporate world, I might have tried to use the big words just to drop them to try to impress people. And I don't, that's really not what teachers are doing. They're, they're just trying to use the vernacular of their business. Do some teachers use the words in kind of showy, offy way? Yeah, probably sometimes, but it's also a way to communicate to each other. So, Formative and summative are two other words that we use quite a lot in education as well. I wanted to shift maybe the rest of the podcast into acronyms. Wow. I mean, every industry has its own acronyms. Certainly when I worked at a hospital, there was all kinds of acronyms. I mentioned FTE, what that stood for. There was all kinds of them, as you might imagine, in a hospital. When I worked at a corporate environment, there was acronyms there. And the education system is no different. You know, it's kind of funny. I got an email from my math boss last week, and it had six acronyms in it. And 
I jokingly replied, and she knew I was joking and that I could probably look it up and figure it out. But I uh, I said, man, that's a lot of acronyms. What do these two mean? And I, I really needed some help with them. I don't mind asking. I am not too proud to say that I don't know something about something. And in that way, I help learn through the process. I think maybe one of the most popular acronyms that I hear these days in education is STEM, S-T-E-M. And that basically stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, a STEM program. It's it's considered an academic discipline. It, it, it stands for those four words. So it's like taking a biology class in college. Technically, you're taking a class that's part of STEM. But it's more, it's kind of a useful way of grouping subjects with a catchy acronym and showing how they interrelate. I know some of the students say they had already worked with circles in science before we covered them in math. And it's a lot of the same thing. There's lots of STEM organizations out there that, you know, just promote that process. I am all for that. Now, granted, not every student likes those disciplines, or I should say maybe not so much dislike them, but they like other disciplines in school better. I know when I first started substitute teaching and somebody told me, I had an ELA class tomorrow. Well, I didn't know what that meant the first time I heard it. So what in the world is ELA? Is that something that I need to have special training for? And really what it was, was English and language arts. Those of you that teach know that, and you're probably laughing at me right now for not knowing it. I had to teach myself what that means. I always do the prep work the night before I go in to substitute the next morning, I always look up information, make sure I know what's going on. Of course, one of the acronyms that I think we, I think we used the same one back when Adam was in school. That was a long time ago. I don't even remember, but GPA, I think meant grade point average back when I was in school. That one has held its own and made it into uh, staying in the language for years and years after that. One of the things that I hear up come up a lot is gifted and talented. That acronym is GT. If I hear a student, they just got went to GT, that's what they're talking about. There are all kinds of acronyms to represent certain types of students in the way that they like to learn, and we have to learn those. If there's some students that like to learn by themselves, it's, it's kind of important to recognize that. If You know, I was one of those students that I actually feel like I did my best work when I had music playing, when I had noise in the background. It actually seemed like that was better for me. Maybe that's unusual. Maybe most students like it a little bit quieter than that. I see that all the time. But there's various different... Uh, acronyms that relate to all kinds of students in that way, and it just helps us to learn about the student and be able to respond accordingly. Also, one of the acronyms that's not only used in education, but 
It may very well be the most used acronym across all disciplines, business, and that is FAQ. And I'm guessing there's not a person listening to this that doesn't know that that means frequently asked questions. So I'd put that at the top of the list. FAQ is probably one of the most widely used acronyms in the entire world. A testing acronym that is used quite often now is SAT. That is the Scholastic Aptitude Test that helps get you into college after you leave high school. With me, it was the ACT, which interestingly enough, I don't know if I knew this, ACT and SAT are both one of those acronyms that have just kind of become a word. It's like EPCOT. EPCOT at Disney World used to stand for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Now everybody just says EPCOT, and most people don't even know what it used to stand for. ACT is like that. ACT actually stood for American College Testing. That is, And I had to look it up to even remember that. So there's some acronyms that have they've sort of become words on their own, And I think that's interesting that they got to that point. One other acronym. Now, this is across all industries, too, but it's a biggie in education because of how much we emphasize using computers now and devices in the classroom. I know that you guys know what a URL is, right? That's your website address. I'm going to venture a guess that you probably don't. I'm going to say less than 10% of the people listening don't know what those three, what that acronym stands for, URL. It's your website address. It's when you type in www.substituteteacherslounge.com as an example. That's a website address. URL is an acronym that stands for Uniform Resource Locator. Believe it or not, I am not fooling you, Uniform Resource Locator. So another acronym. So substitute teachers out there, teachers out there, as you're working your way through the system, you need to learn the words. I'll make fun of myself for not knowing. I'm an old fogey. The students are are poking fun at me because they know I only have three more weeks. And they say, Mr. Collins, what are you going to do to get fired so you can go out in a big way when three weeks is over? No plans for that. I want the last three weeks to be as enjoyable as the first three weeks. I'm glad I learned all these words this year. You know, this was my third year of substitute teaching. I'm not sure the words I described I really had ingrained in my head yet. It was only working with them every day and working with the great teachers that I work with every day that I got to learn those words. I'm sure my wife, the fifth grade teacher, who's about to retire, by the way, learned those words. I already knew them. would be probably a better way of saying it. But I never really did pick up on her using it in normal language because I really didn't know what they mean. I probably just ignored them at the time. Now I know what they mean. I know that summative, formative, rubric, diagnostic, assessment, all those guys 
are, are important words for the teacher to know, for the substitute teacher to know as they work their way into the classroom. We have to have acronyms. We have to have those words. We have to have easy ways to remember them. Even the com- computer education class, application class that I taught, we're winding down in that too. We're starting to do some fun things using our computer. We we used it for two truths and a lie this last week. We used it to evaluate the popularity of social media. So all that stuff's important. It's important for us to learn what those acronyms either stand for or how we use them when we're teaching in the school system. So, yes, I was not making fun of teacher words. I was making fun of the fact that I had to teach them to myself because there's a lot of them out there. I'm going to learn a lot more the longer I substitute teach, I'm sure. But, guys, make sure you learn those. It's important to use those. It's important to use those in conversation. I'm not a fan, big fan of showing off with them, but I am a big fan of being familiar with them. All right, guys, we just began our second 100 shows. This was episode 101. I thank you so much for, for making it popular. The, the podcast is doing great. The Facebook page, Substitute Teachers Lounge, grows every week, and you guys are a big part of that. So until next week, we'll see you on Substitute Teachers Lounge. Music provided by Ben Sound.